Welcome to California State of Mind from Cal Matters and Cap Radio. I'm Nicole Nixon. And I'm Randall White, filling in again for Nigel Duara. Well, you've probably heard by now, but Gavin Newsom gets to keep his job as governor of this great state. Vote tallies are still trickling in as we record this, but early results showed California voters rejecting the recall by an almost two to one margin. You know, Randall, more than four million voters skipped question two, meaning they did not vote for a placement candidate. More people skipped question two than voted for Larry Elder, who was the top candidate to replace Newsom. Yeah, well, Newsom did ask Democrats to do that, and apparently the gamble paid off. The only thing that mattered for him was question one anyway. Well, there's a lot more to dig into here, like what this means for Newsom's political future and more short term, what it means for the hundreds of bills sitting on his desk now that the legislature has adjourned. So here to help us figure some of this out are reporters Ben Christopher and Laurel Rosenhall from Cal Matters. Welcome back, you two. Thanks, Nicole. Hey. So let's start with your reflections on the outcome of this special election. Were there any surprises in how things played out here, Ben? Yeah, I think one of the things that surprised me was just sort of how not surprising California politics proved to be in the end. Mm -hmm. I think if you go back to the beginning of the recall, The conventional wisdom was that this doesn't stand a chance because this is a very democratic state uh, uh, where Democrats outnumber Republicans two to one, where a uh, Republican hasn't been elected to statewide office since 2006. And then, you know, throughout throughout the summer, uh, some of the polls looked like maybe this was actually going to be surprisingly competitive and maybe – uh, you know, the, the the laws of political gravity were going to be suspended, or at least the laws of political polarization. But, you know, at the end of the day, we look at the turnout, and uh, it was kind of the blowout that people were expecting from the get-go. So, Laurel, you and I were in that massive scrum on Tuesday night when the governor declared victory. His allies say that this sets him up nicely for re-election in 2022, though he did not go there in his short speech How do you think this might affect Newsom's political aspirations going forward? Yeah, it absolutely empowers him going into 2022. I don't know why any Democrat would challenge him, given the um, margin of victory that he got on this and the amount of unity he had to um, get among Democrats to to ensure this victory. And then on the Republican side, I mean, the amount of votes that these Republican candidates got is really small. I mean, if you if you go by um, not just the percentage they got of those who voted on the question of a replacement candidate, but how many votes they got on the among all of the people who voted in this election, you know, then the top vote getter, Larry Elder, would probably be around 25, 26 percent. And a lot of these more established Republicans, really small, like in the single digits. So Newsom is very well set up to, you know, minimize the likelihood of a Democratic challenger and um, demonstrate that he could handily defeat a Republican challenger. Now, Further into the future, you know, people are talking about, you know, him running for president or something like that. I would say it's way too early to read anything from this election into those kind of like long term projections. I just it doesn't seem rational. The amount of that can change in politics, the amount that's unknowable about what would happen between now and then. I just wouldn't go that far. 
Wait yeah, you could always go back to the French laundry. Yeah, I was going to say, way to, way to pour cold water on that, because that was actually my next question. Because this is one surprising thing I, I heard from a pundit on the Cap Radio airwaves after, after the recall. This is from Republican consultant Luis Alvarado. I think the governor, as it stands right now, has a chance to be president of the United States in 2024 if the cards continue to go the way they're going right now. I mean, it's kind of an open secret that Newsom's Harvard White House ambitions. Do you think that, yeah, it's like reading way too much into this to go there? Well, I would just say, let's look at the example of Scott Walker, who used to be the governor of Wisconsin. He was the last governor to face a recall in 2012, and he defeated that recall. And he was seen at that time to be this, um, you know, big promising Republican candidate for, for president. And he ran for president and his campaign completely flopped. He got out of the primaries pretty early on in that 2016 cycle. And then he ran for reelection as governor in 2018. And guess what? He lost. So where is he now? He's not even the governor. He he I just think like reading, you know, making assumptions, long term assumptions about politicians, you know, long term careers based on one outcome of one race. I, I It just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, I mean, the, the other thing worth pointing out maybe is that the reason this election was such a blowout isn't because I don't think Governor Newsom is so fantastically popular. I mean, he is fairly popular. His approval numbers are above 50% in California and his supporters certainly like him. But the reason that this was such a blowout, and I think a lot of Newsom's and the No Campaign's consultants would, would say this, is because they really made this a referendum on Larry Elder and the, the politics of former President Trump. Well, the day after the recall, Newsom took questions from reporters in the Bay Area. He seemed much more relaxed and candid than he had been in a long, long time. So here he is after someone asked whether he felt vindicated by the recall. I feel enlivened. I feel more energized. And I feel a deep sense of responsibility because people are counting on us and they need us. They need government, effective government and they need us to have their backs and they need us to keep them safe and healthy. Do either of you think the recall will change the way Newsom leads or governs in any meaningful way? I'm not sure how much it changes him and I'm not sure that his supporters would really want it to change him very much. If you think about it, they voted for him as a validation of his leadership and particularly you know, on the pandemic, that obviously became a major theme in the closing weeks of this campaign. Newsom really leaned into his kind of tough on COVID approach, coming out with his vaccine requirements for healthcare workers, state workers, teachers, you know, in some cases coming out with those things before Joe Biden did, making making Newsom really look like he's kind of at the vanguard of the Democratic Party on, on that kind of risk-taking policy. So to the extent that he would backtrack on any of those things, I think his supporters, again, the majority of Californians are vaccinated. It just doesn't seem like it would make sense to really change course a whole lot. Well, what about the Republican contenders, Ben? Larry Elder told his supporters to stay tuned. <laughs> Do you think it would be wise for California Republicans to put their weight behind any of these candidates? Like, I guess my question is, 
How long are we just going to be seeing the same battle play out here between a Trumpy Republican who gets 30 to 40 percent of the vote and a Democrat who gets 60 percent? Yeah, I mean, I, I hear you. It is sort of deja vu. I, and I feel like as a political reporter, I've written the same <laughs> article about five times at this point, which is, OK, where does the California GOP go from here? And I'm not sure there are any obvious answers here. I mean, you you know, back at the beginning of the recall, you, you had the emergence of Kevin Faulkner, the former mayor of San Diego, and, you know, had a lot of people saying, you know, if ever there was a, a Republican who could win statewide in California, it would be this guy. And he just didn't really light the base of the Republican Party on fire. And so there's just a, a huge disconnect between what the base wants and what the uh, the broader electorate in California wants. And that, that gap is just not narrowing. Well, the headlines after these kinds of elections are always, you know, trying to read the tea leaves, things like what can we learn from California, especially in national outlets. <laughs> Do you think there are any grand takeaways from this? Like maybe I'm cynical, but Democrats outnumber Republicans two to one in California. That's pretty close to the results we have right now. Are there takeaways from this that aren't obvious? Yeah, it's a really good question. And again, it's, it's sort of a similar question I've been asking uh, consultants and so forth. And a lot of the consultants and, and, and political watchers I watched are like, oh, we learned what we already knew about California, which again, like you said, Democrats outnumber Republicans, turnout matters, negative partisan, partisanship helps, and so forth. And um, so, yeah, not to be boring about it, but I think <laughs> this just kind of reaffirmed a lot of the conventional wisdom. Yeah. One non-boring twist on that, though, might be just the pandemic issue, because obviously, that is a unique, just a unique reality of the times we're living in. The Newsom camp is is trying to make a message that this strategy of taking vaccine requirements seriously, mask requirements seriously, that that's a winning message for Democrats and that managing the pandemic and ending the pandemic, hopefully, will help Democrats Win. I mean, it was interesting that the day after the election, Newsom's very first appearance as the leader of California was in a school where he was touting the mask requirements for students, the vaccine requirements for teachers. Um, we saw Joe Biden come out with a congratulatory message to Newsom that was very much on the theme of this shows that, um, you know, voters want to take the pandemic seriously and make the re policy requirements that, you know, that are necessary to end it and the spread of infection. Newsom made a really um, strong case about how much higher pediatric hospitalization rates are in Republican states where the schools don't have mask and vaccine requirements. So I, I do think the pandemic is the one like non-conventional outcome of this whole thing, though I agree that the partisan breakdown is pretty much what was predicted before things got weird and it looked like it might not be business as usual for a little while there. Nicole, it was brought up that Gavin Newsom may run for president at some point, but I just don't see him getting in the way of his really close friend, Vice President Kamala Harris. The path, I think, is more obvious for her there. And I think, of course, this is just speculation, that he would wait his turn after Harris has her go at it. Mm-hmm. 
Well, coming up, we will talk about how the recall affected what bills lawmakers did or didn't pass and what happens to all that legislation now that Newsom has won. Stay with us. It's California State of Mind from Cap Radio and Cal Matters. I'm Nicole Nixon, and I'm talking with Cal Matters reporters Laurel Rosenhall and Ben Christopher about the recall election, which Governor Gavin Newsom defeated. Ben and Laurel, we should probably talk about the polls because polling really drove the narrative of this recall. There was this UC Berkeley poll over the summer that showed Democratic voters weren't really paying attention, and it kind of served as an alarm bell for Newsom's team. But it got me thinking about 2016, where everyone lost their minds about the polls after Trump won, just because so much of the narrative of this recall has been driven by the polls. So, Ben, since you're more of the data nerd of this group, (laughs) what is it about polls that makes us want to keep going back to them? It's like the X we cannot stay away from. <laughs> they keep hurting us and we keep coming back. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's, it's a good question, and and obviously, I mean, you make the point that that the IGS poll um, and 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 the Survey USA poll really kind of lit a fire under a lot of Democrats, and it's just sort of a a, a, a reminder, I guess, that that polls not only you know provide a snapshot of reality, but that in some ways they can kind of shape reality. You know, I don't know if every Californian is is watching these polls as closely as. Us three, but certainly, you know, it shaped the conversation. It shaped the conventional wisdom. There were like a gajillion news um, articles, both in California and uh, across the the country, sort of either talking about how, oh, actually, maybe Newsom's in trouble, or maybe this one candidate, like Kevin Paffrath, is actually going to be the next governor, and so forth. And it's all kind of based on these, you know, snapshots in time. I think the IGS poll was done quite well, but it was looking just at likely voters who were. All, it's always kind of a moving target. The Survey USA poll. Uh, had some methodological issues that really seemed to overstate uh, the amount of support for the recall. And so, yeah, I mean, you know, I guess just a reminder to take some of these things with a grain of salt and and to just uh, uh, not overly invest or, you know, in them either emotionally or financially <laughs> or politically. Okay, well, now that the recall is over, our lives can return to normal, I guess, a little (laughs) bit. (laughs) And this time of year for political reporters like us, that would mean staying up late, covering bills at the end of a legislative session. Laurel, for people who aren't living and breathing capital politics, what is end of session? What does it mean? And and why did it feel so different this year? Yeah, so the legislature is in session for about nine months, and they um, wrapped up last week. And normally, the end of session is just like a pretty crazy crunch time. This is a group of lawmakers, they seem to follow the old rule of like that the work expands to fit the time allotted, you know, everything just kind of (laughs) takes up until the last minute. Um, Lots of late nights, lots of, um, you know, crazy like backdoor negotiations. They do all of this so-called like hostage taking. I won't send this bill to your house until you send that bill to my house. The final night going really late is, is very typical. And this year was just so different. I mean, I've been covering 
the legislature for many years. And this is the first time I ever saw them end so early. They they were done before 9 p.m. I, I feel like, you know, usually you're lucky if they're done by midnight and frequently it's past midnight. And so this was just kind of amazing how like relatively drama free it was. Is that just because everyone's attention was focused on the recall or were there other things at play this year, do you think? So I think there were a couple things. I mean, because of the pandemic, they limited how many um, bills that the legislators could carry. So there was just like a little bit less, less stuff to move through the system. There was also like definitely a lot of the most controversial bills uh, were sort of dispensed with earlier on either or either they passed them earlier in the week um, and sent them off or they just kind of buried them or defeated them like earlier in the session. A lot of controversial things went down. So, yeah, I mean, right now there's about 700 bills that, that you know, Newsom has to decide on in the next three and a half weeks. Then there are bills piled up on Newsom's desk. He has until October 10th to sign or veto them. And just quickly, one thing I noticed immediately after the recall was labor activists who were a huge force of grassroots support for the governor. Some of them were immediately on social media urging him to sign bills to add protections for farm workers and warehouse workers. Besides labor unions, who else has big asks of Newsom in the aftermath of this recall? It's going to be interesting just to see how that broader political dynamic plays out. Obviously, Newsom is probably pretty happy that he uh, didn't have to sign that pack of uh, 700 bills until after the recall mm-hmm. is over. So if he has to make any controversial decisions now, he can he can do so without this thing hanging over him. But, you know, I, I've heard from some progressive activists and, and some other interest groups that, OK, well, now that this is over, we, you know, the, the governor owes us, in, in a sense, for sort of saving him. Um, I'm not sure if the governor is going to see that see it that way or or how the political dynamic is going to play out. But it'll be interesting to see. Do you think the recall outcome will impact uh, the bills, Newsom signs or vetoes like, you know, now that he feels in his own words, enlivened and energized, do you think his <laughs> signature pen will also feel enlivened here? The things that seemed that would have been harder for him, they didn't make it to his desk. So like, you know, legalizing psychedelic drugs or, you know, doing like a wealth tax or trying to do single payer or there was one to, you know, make these um these sort of supervised medical clinics where drug addicts could um, shoot up drugs, you know, to try to reduce overdoses. Those were halted in the legislature before they hit him. Um, There was some police-related legislation that was controversial as it moved through the legislature, but Newsom's office was involved in negotiating a bill that has to do with, you know, decertifying police uh, engaged in misconduct. So, That doesn't seem like that will be controversial for him since his office was involved in the negotiations. There is a bill that would uh, increase the amount people get paid when they're on family leave. You know, that's been something that Newsom's been working on his whole time in office. It's hard to imagine him vetoing that. So, I mean, governors always surprise you with what they veto. There's always stuff that they um, veto that wasn't even on your radar. I'm fully expecting to be surprised by some by some vetoes. But for the most part, I'm, I'm the legislation that went to him seems less controversial than what we might normally see. 
Well, Ben Christopher and Laurel Rosenhall, thank you both so much for joining us and dropping knowledge. Thank you. Thanks, Nicole. Randall, there are so many more interesting bills on Newsom's desk for him to sign or veto. Things like zoning reform, which is a huge issue in the housing debate. There's a bill that would make it illegal to remove a condom without consent. And a crackdown for the recycling industry when it comes to labeling recyclable materials. And on that note, Cal Matters has a great rundown of major bills from the legislative session. So if you're interested in reading up on those or tracking them to see if the governor signs them or not, check that out. And one last thing about the recall we didn't get to in your conversation. What about future recall rules? Legislative leaders, election committee chairs now say they will convene hearings on it. So this may be an issue voters have on their ballot next year. And that's it for this week's show. We do want to add a quick program note here. We are wrapping up the show in the next couple weeks. October 1st will be our last show, at least for a little while. If you've been listening, a big thank you. And we do have some good shows planned for our last few episodes. Yeah, next week we'll take a look at something a handful of California cities have been trying out. Letting their citizens decide how to spend the city's budget. So that does it for today. Have a great one. See ya. California State of Mind is a collaboration of Cal Matters and Cap Radio. It's produced by Jen Picard, Antonio Munez, and Chris Feltzer, engineers. Sally Schilling is our executive producer. Mark Jones is the technical director. Chris Hagen is our digital editor. Margarita Noriega and Chris Bruno are our masters of marketing. Our social media is run by Emmy Gilbert and Courtney Fong. Nick Miller is editor at Cap Radio and Joe Barr is our chief of content. Dave Lusher is editor at Cal Matters. Our theme song is Melifera Ligustica by Isaac Joel. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. You'll get notified every Friday of a new episode. That's all for now. Thanks for listening to California State of Mind. See you next week. Support for California State of Mind comes in part from Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. 